thing about this freedom, the possibility of freedom. It can be perhaps interesting or useful to look at what the Buddha described as the experience in the moment of his awakening. It's described in different ways, and I'm just going to pick one of those tonight to look at. We're going to basically be spending the week looking at a variety of different uh, ways to look at this. What is this freedom? What is this awakening? In one place, in one description the Buddha gave of his awakening, he described that he had four insights. I directly knew, as it actually is, this is suffering. I directly knew, as it actually is, this is the origin of suffering. I directly knew, as it actually is, this is the cessation of suffering. I directly knew, as it actually is, this is the practice leading to the cessation of suffering. And so in this framing, this is, this is insight being described here, directly new as it actually is. This is suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This is a little different than the framing of um, these statements which are typically understood to be the Four Noble Truths. that when the Buddha had the insights, in a way, I, I, the way I kind of think of it in my, own, in my own understanding, there was some insight that was born in him. And it's no surprise, actually, that the insights were framed in this way around suffering because his whole path, the whole exploration uh, was around this question of what is suffering? This, this was a question that motivated him. Is, is, what is suffering? Is it possible to be free of it? How does it come to be? How does it end? Well, this was the question that, these were the kinds of questions that motivated his search. And so the understanding that arose and the freedom that arose with that understanding framed in terms of suffering, it kind of makes sense. But, you know, it was, it was framed in a direct, the way he expresses it is a direct understanding direct insight, a direct knowing. This is suffering. It's different from this is the truth of dukkha, birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, death is dukkha. Now that's, that's a kind of a, a teaching perhaps. Maybe, maybe my understanding of this a little bit is that there was some insight that he had around dukkha in these four ways. And the rest of his teaching career was trying to help us understand that. Help us understand how we could see that for ourselves. With the framing of the Four Noble Truths being one of the ways that he spoke to help us to begin to look at our experience from this perspective, from a different perspective. 
So this question of, is it possible to be free from suffering? I think this, this first insight, this is suffering, in some ways speaks to a, 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 probably a radical reframing of what even the idea of suffering is. The possibility to be free of suffering. Ending suffering doesn't mean that we somehow finally figure out how to arrange a life to our liking. That uh, whole notion that we might, I mean, actually it's great news that freedom from suffering doesn't depend on that because it doesn't seem to be possible to arrange a life to our satisfaction. And so this, this whole notion of um, you know, pleasant things will happen, unpleasant things will happen, there'll just be this stream, this flow of pleasant and unpleasant experience happening, and that fixing or changing that flow is not what is meant by the ending of suffering. That the suffering the Buddha discovered of what suffering is that's possible to be free of is a suffering that is in relationship to that flow. The flow of unpleasant, pleasant, neutral experience is going to continue. And so the unpleasant experience in particular, you know, this may be from a kind of unenlightened or unaware perspective, unpleasant experience is dukkha. Unpleasant experience is suffering. And the... uh, the understanding of, well, no, actually, unpleasant experience itself is not suffering. And pleasant experience that disappears is not inherently suffering. This, I think, is, is a new understanding that the Buddha brought for us. So this is suffering, this, this understanding, this is suffering, I think, was a, was a, a kind of a radical reorientation of the mind around what suffering actually is. This question of our relationship to pleasant, unpleasant, our wanting it to be pleasant, our wanting to get rid of the unpleasant. It's pointing to the second noble truth, the framing of the second noble truth, that the possibility for ease and peace with this flow of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral comes with the ending of wanting it to be some other way. Wanting that, that craving for it to be some other way, that constriction for it to be some other way. So the Buddha offered, over the course of his teaching, an understanding of the Four Noble Truths in some ways, I like to I like to think about um, the four noble truths, and they're they're put firmly at the beginning of the eightfold path. Right view, the understanding of the four noble truths, right there in right view. And so, this is the the intellectual understanding. the 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 beginning of our path has to come with some kind of rethinking of what we think of as suffering. 
beginning to, to reframe our understanding of, of the possibility for freedom from suffering, meaning, not meaning freedom to arrange the world the way I want it to be. So the, uh, the framing of the Four Noble Truths as the Four Noble Truths in that first discourse the Buddha gave, I think of as the, the perspective he, he wants us to explore, bring that perspective to our practice. And this is what we've been looking at for the whole course of this program. How do we bring this perspective to our lives? So I want to explore the Four Noble Truths in the way, in a, in a kind of a different way here perhaps this evening, from this perspective of there being insights and from the perspective of the, there being um, a framework through which we can directly meet experience. This um, pattern that I described, the Buddha said he uh, understood as it actually is. I directly knew as it actually is, this is suffering. I directly knew as it actually is, this is the arising of suffering. I directly knew as it actually is, this is the cessation of suffering. I directly knew as it actually is, this is the practice leading to the cessation of suffering. In various places, in the uh, texts, it points to this pattern. I directly knew or I directly understood X. I directly understood the origin of X. I directly understood the ending of X and I directly understood the practice leading to the ending of X. Where X is replaced by many things in the teaching. This pattern of the insights around the Four Noble Truths was not just applied to the word dukkha. It was applied to the five aggregates. I directly understood form the arising of form, the ending of form, the path leading to the ending of form. It was applied to the, um, uh, the sankaras, the formations. I directly understood mental formations. I directly understood the arising of mental formations. I directly understood the cessation of mental formations. I directly understood the path leading to the cessation of mental formations. It was applied to the six sense spaces. In short, it was applied to our experience, all of our experience. And this, I think, is what the pointing is in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. The Four Noble Truths are, uh, we're encouraged to look at the Four Noble Truths in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And there it uses suffering in the fourth foundation. But I think it can be, we are encouraged to understand experience. The five aggregates, as we talked about in the last retreat, is 
all of our experience can be understood through the arising of the uh, five aggregates in various configurations. All of our experience can be understood in terms of the arising of senses, of, of this a meeting of experience at the six sense bases. And so we can explore, not just around suffering, but anything, whatever's arising, we can be curious about what is it? What is its origin? How does it arise is another actual, another way to frame this this language, because the word here um, in Pali is often translated as the cause of suffering or the origin of suffering, but the word in Pali is samudaya, samudaya, which is the word that's used for the second, fa- the second noble truth, um, the uh, the Um, the origin or the arising of suffering. Pretty much, at least I understand from Gil Fransdell's research on this, that other places in the suttas, when the word samudaya is used, it's used to mean arising. And so, what is the arising of suffering? The arising of suffering happens with the arising of craving. It's a subtly different framing of the second noble truth. Craving is not the cause of suffering, as if craving happens and then suffering happens. When craving arises, suffering arises with it. It's a co-arising, as we learned in the dependent co-arising. When craving arises, with the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. With the ending of craving is the ending of suffering. So the exploration um, might be what's the origin of something, or we could just explore how does it arise? What's here? What's arising? What's ending? So this can be some of what we look at in our practice. And this is what I think that the fourth foundation, this teaching in the fourth foundation was pointing us to. In another place in Majjama 2, if you're inter- we got some feedback that people were interested in the sources of, of quotes. And so the quote that I read, the first one where the Buddha was talking about his awakening experience, that was in Majjama 4. Uh, in Majjama 2, he describes this same pattern of looking at the, uh, the arising of suffering, looking at suffering, the arising of suffering, the ending of suffering, and the path or the practice leading to the ending of suffering. Not as so much insight already, but as an orientation or a framework through which we look at our experience. This is a teaching on wise, uh, wise attention. Here the Buddha says, in order to learn how to free oneself from suffering, one needs to attend wisely. How does one attend wisely? One attends wisely, this is suffering. One attends wisely, this is the arising of suffering. 
one attends wisely, this is the ending of suffering. And one attends wisely, this is the practice leading to the ending of suffering. So we can look at our experience in this framework in a way that what this points to, there's a couple things this points to, but one is that whatever's happening in our experience, one way of I understand this teaching at least, is whatever is happening in our experience can be seen through one of these four perspectives. It's either suffering that's already here, it's suffering that's coming into being, it's suffering that's ending, or we are cultivating tools and practices, we're cultivating the paramis, we're cultivating mindfulness, we're cultivating concentration, we're cultivating the path that heads us in the direction of freedom. So whatever is arising in our experience, whatever's happening in our experience, we could know it from this perspective. We could look at it, oh, this is suffering. And not, again, this is important, it's important to recognize it's not about, oh, this is unpleasant experience, right? This is, the suffering is about the contraction, the constriction, the craving that comes along with the suffering. The wish that it were some other way. Either the wish that unpleasant experience were not here, or the wish that pleasant experience would not be disappearing, or the wish for something more exciting than neutral experience, or the, the suffering that comes with unawareness of just spacing out around experience. So it's not, it's, it's not the unpleasant experience itself. It is that, that relationship, that wishing it were some other way, the, the, the craving I think you're all familiar with this, what this means to understand suffering when it arises. And, and I think you all also understand the distinction between unpleasant experience just as unpleasant experience and feeling into the ease and peace that's possible even in the face of unpleasant experience. So we can explore our experience from this perspective This is suffering. Kind of consciously bringing this framework to our experience. A framework that's useful for heading us in the direction of freeing us from suffering. Another thing I I like about this particular teaching, this framing of what wise attention is, this is suffering. This is the cause of suffering. This is the operative word. What's happening now in this present moment? In this teaching, the Buddha is encouraging us to look at the now. Not what happened five minutes ago or two years ago or eight years ago. But what's happening now? Suffering happens now. This, is a, this was a really important 
recognition for me when I began to explore this, this perspective. It's like, on a retreat, on one retreat, this kind of got highlighted for me. I was having a lot of suffering. Embarrassment was the experience of suffering that came up as I remembered an incident that had happened several years before. This memory kept popping up and it was a particularly embarrassing memory. It was a memory of being on stage and forgetting a line. And so there I was standing looking out at the audience and not having a clue what to say. So that moment arose in my memory over and over again. And what I got to see was while the suffering was arising in dependence on that memory coming up, the suffering was being recreated in this moment. It wasn't that somehow the old embarrassment from years before was being, you know, dredged up or that it was sitting there in some little storeroom and I'd opened a trap door and there was the embarrassment suffering sitting there. The memory arose and in that moment, and I got to see this so clearly on retreat, the memory arose and the reaction to that memory was embarrassment. The suffering, the embarrassment was created, created in that moment. Suffering arises now. If you are experiencing suffering in this moment, the information you need to understand that is arising now. You don't need to... uh, I mean, whatever you can know about this moment will help you to understand what will will, uh, lead to freedom from that suffering. So, likewise... The cause of suffering arises now. In that example, the reaction to the memory was some kind of wanting that not to have happened, some kind of craving for that not to have happened. Again, arising in the mind, in the moment, this craving for that not to have happened. So again, suffering happens now. The craving that leads to that suffering happens now. This is hugely freeing when we can start to watch it. And this this pointing to seeing the suffering happening now, seeing the arising of suffering happening now, leads us to the place where we can see the suffering ending now also. So we learn about our experience, this this framework of looking at experience. This is suffering. We begin to see how suffering arises now. How it's made, it, it arises in dependence on things that have happened. Yes, it arises in dependence on memories and things that we've done in our past and conditions from the past. But those conditions are like all pulled together here again in this moment. And the suffering arises now. 
as I began to, to witness when over the course of watching the mind begin, began to see thoughts that would arise that had habitually triggered particular reactivity, that those thoughts could simply arise. That was a bit of a shock to me. I kind of thought that certain memories inherently came with their baggage. Memories, they're pretty, they're, 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 you know, they're habitually connected to the baggage. It's like, you know, it's like our baggage is uh, floating around with us. It doesn't weigh anything, though, unless we pick it up. So the, the uh, thoughts can arise, memories, moods can arise, and the subsequent habitual response does not have to arise. This is experiencing the freedom from suffering. Watching, seeing that, seeing that in the moment. Sometimes it's experienced, I think this third noble truth, it's experienced as watching something release, seeing a clinging, and feeling it let go. That, that feeling of seeing the clinging let go has a particular feeling of release. We do, we, and, and it, 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 uh, we recognize that contraction releasing. That's one way that we sometimes experience this third noble truth, this ending of suffering. But sometimes we experience it in a different way. We sometimes might experience it as suffering that doesn't arise, the non-arising of suffering. Essentially, the best example I have of this is one that I've given a lot. So some of you may have heard this story. Um, one, one very particularly clear example of this from my practice. Um, I had spent quite a bit of time watching anger in my um, early days in practice. It was my very first mindfulness practice, watching anger in my daily life. And um, got really familiar with the dukkha of anger. Really familiar with that. You know, as I look back on this story, it's like I see how the mind was applying the Four Noble Truths to experience without consciously knowing what it was doing. I had learned enough about the teachings to be curious about what is anger, you know? Okay, well, that's, this is what anger feels like. That right there is the curiosity of this is dukkha. Okay, here's anger, this is dukkha. What is the human experience of anger? That's dukkha. So in this exploration of, of watching anger for a couple months, I really got it that anger is dukkha. Really got it, completely. And so one day, um, I was 
was just in my kitchen and I was just doing some things in my kitchen and I was cutting an apple and as I cut that apple a memory arose and this this I, I mean I was not trying to practice here this this was just the fruit really of being available for anger and being available to watch and be curious about experience and um, so this this moment I was just cutting an apple and in that moment I saw the arising of a thought of being with the person that I was angry with and we were together at a fruit stand so in that moment I could see there was a connection between what I was doing cutting the apple and the memory that came up and I could see the memory coming up and in this this particular person I had a lot of associations with and so pretty much just about anything I would do would find a pathway to some memory with this person Uh, So this one, you know, cutting an apple. Here's this memory with this person. And in that moment, the mind saw that memory and saw this kind of like urge. This urge to jump on that thought and think more thoughts and get angry at him. Think, Think thoughts to make myself angry. There was a strong urge in that direction. I was... I. It takes a while to describe this, but this all happened in about a second or a split second. In that moment of seeing that urge, that heading in that direction, the mind like wanting to get angry, I could see that I wasn't yet angry. Anger had not arisen. And in that moment, the mind thought, oh, don't pick up that thought. Don't go there. And again, this wasn't something I did. It was, it was the mind, actually, my understanding in retrospect. And so much understanding, I think, happens in retrospect, as Temple was saying earlier. We see how we've become free as we reflect back on things. And so in, um, in retrospect, I understand that... Um, Sometimes the mind just stops thinking thoughts, <laughs> which it just did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sometimes this happens. Okay. One of the uh, things that a Dharma teacher has to live with. In retrospect, I understood that the months of looking at anger and realizing that suffering, the mind recognized in that moment the wanting to get angry, it was headed right towards suffering. And because it understood that, it was headed towards suffering, the mind said, We don't want to go there. So the mind 
did not go there. This was not something I could have tried to do. In fact, I stood there waiting to get angry because it, it uh, seemed impossible in my mind for this person to arise in my mind and anger not arise in my mind. And yet it didn't. I, I sat there waiting for myself to get angry and I didn't get angry. At that point, I kind of sank down to my knees. It's like, wow, this is possible. That moment was a real moment of seeing. Well, that was the seeing, the non-arising of suffering. It wasn't seeing the ending of suffering. It was seeing it's not happening. It's not arising. That was a very powerful moment in my practice. I really credit that moment with having me commit to this practice for the rest of my life. So this third noble truth, we can see through this releasing, the sense of feeling the, the, cl- the clenching and the craving and, and watching it. And, and sometimes we can see it let go. And sometimes we can simply see, we can see it's not arising. That non-arising of suffering might ex- be experienced in different ways. I'm not going to go into those. I'm hoping you'll go into some of those in a few minutes when we have an exploration of this. So whatever is happening in our experience is the possibility to understand it from this perspective. Each noble truth in the first discourse of the Buddha, which I think we assigned to you recently, (laughs) Um, each noble truth in that discourse is associated with a task, an action that essentially turns those understandings of the Four Noble Truths into practices. Suffering is meant to be understood. Craving should be abandoned, released. The ending of suffering, the ending of suffering should be realized and the path leading to the ending of suffering should be cultivated. In that discourse, there's three ways each of those insights is explored. He says, so around suffering, that that the first insight is first just to recognize this is suffering, that same recognition, that same insight that we just talked about. What actually is suffering? This is an insight when we recognize, oh yes, anger is suffering. This is an insight. Maybe it doesn't feel good, but this is an insight. So this is suffering. The second insight is suffering should be understood. 
it's useful, it's valuable to turn towards suffering and begin to get curious about it. This is the second insight. Again, so the, the, we can see ourselves in this teaching, I think. Because you spend a lot of time when you're practicing being curious, turning towards. Anytime you, you recognize, oh right, frustration's happening, what's the experience of frustration? That's an expression of this second insight around the first noble truth. Suffering should be understood. The third insight, suffering has been understood. This is the, re- the realization, the recognition of what does it actually mean to understand suffering? Suffering has been understood. To me, these three right here, that's a kind of a description of the whole path. In some ways, I think each of these three insights around any one of these three is a whole path of practice. So, suffering's arising. It should be understood. We turn our experience, turn our attention towards it and begin to be curious about it. Suffering has been understood. In that moment when suffering has been understood, we are already beginning to understand the second noble truth. When suffering has been understood, we understand something about why it arises. We understand something about the craving that has conditioned it. When suffering has been understood, there is a release from that craving. And so in some ways we can look at these these actions associated with each noble truth in a way as a kind of a, each one onward leads to the next noble truth. So understanding suffering leads us to recognize that craving is the cause of suffering and that it should be released and can be released. Probably not by saying, oh, I'm going to let go of you, I'm going to do the letting go, but more along the lines of the curiosity, the exploration, creating the conditions for the letting go to happen. That letting go happening, that's the third noble truth. As we allow craving to be released, the abandoning. Craving is abandoned with the abandoning of craving. And again, these three framings. This is craving. Craving should be abandoned. Craving has been abandoned. When craving has been abandoned, what's the, what's the experience? This is the ending of suffering. This ending of suffering needs to be realized and has been realized. So each of these noble truths leads onward to the next. Just as we do this simple path of turning towards our experience, recognizing, recognizing our experience. Another piece I just want to bring in around suffering has been, suffering should be understood is um, I want to bring something in around the 
the first noble truth and the third noble truth. Um, suffering should be understood. The teaching around this, often in our, the way we talk about it, is very much internal. You know, we are looking at suffering as it's arising here, exploring what is the human experience of suffering. And this is a piece of what the Buddha encouraged us to explore. But he also encouraged us with respect to suffering in a teaching he gave to his son, and we've talked about this teaching, but I want to point to it here again. He encouraged us to look at suffering in community, in relationship. He said to his son, before you do an action of body, speech, or mind, reflect on, is this going to cause suffering? for yourself, for someone else, or for both. So right there, he brings community in. Suffering, exploring, understanding suffering is not just about suffering that happens here, but also understanding, I believe in the teachings, understanding when suffering is happening based on our actions, based on other people's actions in our communities. And so this is an avenue for the exploration of the, the questions that we've been looking at around the suffering in our uh, systems, in our cultures, around race and homophobia and ageism and sexism and the suffering that comes around war around jealousy, around hoarding, around using resources. So looking at how do actions impact self-other both. This, uh, this is part of the exploration of suffering too. And I think we are really, uh, as a, as a, community of practitioners, we are bringing that peace in to our practice. I think it's been left out of our practice, um, but bringing it in. What, what is suffering, not just in here, but in our communities as well? And then the third noble truth, you know, the peace is possible. Peace is possible. The ending of craving leads to peace. Again, a, a, a peace that's really useful to recognize and just to say over and over again that peace around um, letting go of craving does not mean that we let go of action. That we may recognize there are situations, conditions in the world, and we've uh, lost our sense of uh, constriction around the, uh, the, the wanting that to not be there. So the, the constriction's not there, so the heart's not clenched. The heart is not clenched around that. 
And yet that very heart not being clenched, boy, does it feel. It feels the suffering way more strongly. And so, you know, we think perhaps peace means non-action because, you know, what does it mean to act when we don't want? And if we're not wanting, why would we act? That's our question. You know, if I didn't crave something to be other way, why would I act? Well, the heart wants to act to alleviate suffering. The heart wants to act in resonance with suffering, with joy. And so the heart at peace, to me, is the heart of non-constriction, but it's not the heart of non-action. The action comes from compassion, from joy, from kindness, from wisdom, instead of from craving. And so this, you know, the third noble truth, peace is possible, doesn't mean that we end up floating on some cloud somewhere. I think, too, this brings us into engagement. It brings many of us into engagement. The uh, temple was pointing to earlier the way that the expression of a free mind and heart can have so many different, uh, can be so many different ways. I've met, um, met monks who seem very free, who are, are sitting in caves, you know, are, are kind of removed from the world, and other people who seem very free, who are deeply engaged in the world. And so the expression of freedom will have your flavor. Look for that. What is your flavor of freedom? So, um, let's take a 10-minute silent break. And then we'll come back and do some explorations around this theme. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.